you, you were just talking about the assault runner and I was like, I gotta, I gotta hit record. Cause this is so good. Just uh-huh. your, your wisdom, like everything. I love your perspective on stuff. Um, you know, man. we've only talked once before, but right. on Instagram, I feel like I kind of know you a little bit and, sure. um, I just love your perspective because you're a physician, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you do CrossFit and you know, right. functional fitness. And so right. I just love your perspective on stuff. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that, Tyler. I, I mean, I appreciate it. I think that, um, you know, uh, you, hell, you, you, we followed one another, right, uh, on Instagram for, for a couple of years now. So I think that one of the things, obviously, my Instagram is all about, uh, as a physician, uh, it's all about health, fitness, uh, and nutrition, because obviously nutrition plays a major part in health and fitness. But the one piece that I also refer to in my bio that I think is an integral part of health and fitness is your mindset. So, um, you know, I, uh, I, I appreciate it, whatever. I get a lot of messages these days just telling me that people appreciate my mindset um, towards various different topics. And I think, you know, it, it's helpful to hear that. Um, but I also, every so often, I'm challenged by somebody, they'll send me a DM or, you know, something and challenge, you know, my mindset. And I'm like, Hey, that's fine. I'm, I'm completely okay with you trying to challenge my mindset uh, with two things considered. Number one, if I have the time to respond to my, to my, to, to the DMS, whoever is, you know, you know, didn't are challenging, you know, whatever I propose, if I have the time and, and I'm not taking time away from taking care of my patients or time away from the gym or I'm not on the road when you DM me or anything that essentially would make it disadvantageous for me to respond to you. Um, you know, obviously if if that's not the case, then I'll respond to you. And then number two, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, Tyler, but I feel like, unfortunately we are now in a society where you cannot respond to somebody's logic or respond to somebody's point or respond to somebody's belief without that person taking it personally and uh essentially you know uh just just kind of fighting back or or saying something in response where it's very clear to you that even though you uh, did not attack them personally. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of ad hominem attacks, right? I yeah. can, you know, you, you and I can disagree on something and yep. I, I can think, you know, you're, you're all these bad, I don't know, just throw out any number of, of, you know, adjectives that poorly describe somebody. I could call you broke, fat, blah, 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 ball. Yeah. And, and this is, this is coming from a ball. I, I have a shaved head, right? You could, this is coming from a ball guy myself. Right. But in my opinion, anytime that anybody an, an argument or a discussion, anytime you need to use an ad hominem attack, anytime that you need to personally slander somebody's characteristics, instead of their argument, you have lost the argument. Oh, you're yeah. basically, you're basically displaying that you have, you have no retort. You have no response beyond trying to make fun of the person. You can't shut down their argument because their argument is superior to your argument. So sometimes, like I said, sometimes, you know, people will respond in such a way and say, Hey, you know, my mindset on blah, blah, blah. And, and like I said, I can often, I'm, you know, intelligent enough to respond uh, and defend myself and defend my argument. However, once it starts to degenerate into Oh, you know, personal slander towards yep. me as opposed to attacking my argument. I'm oh, like, absolutely. hey, you know what? Absolutely. You have a good day. I'm out of here. I just, I don't, I don't have the time for this. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's this culture we live in where, unfortunately, way too many people are are woke 
Um, and that's, I guess, you know, that's the way they want to live their lives where, you know, they, they are <laughs> easily offended, even when somebody isn't trying to offend them, when somebody's yeah. literally just responding to, to their, to their arguments. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where we, that's, that's where we live, man. And, yeah. you know, oh, so, I think you're, yeah. you're right. I think social media has not helped it. I mean, like I said, I, like, I feel like I kind of know you a little just cause I've followed you for so long on Instagram, but the truth is like, I should reach out more and, and actually like, you know, talk and get some dialogue. And uh, I mean, not that, not that that has to happen, but I think social media is kind of, it's kind of messed us up. It's so good. And it's so bad at the same time. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm a nerd through and through anyone who really knows me knows that. Like I love, I love technology, but I will also be the first person to say that the internet has, I have definitely witnessed it because I existed in a time before the internet. I was born in 1983. So I'm 38 years old. So yeah. I existed in a time before the internet. And then now, obviously after the internet and because I'm a nerd, I'm actually more technologically savvy than most people. Um, uh, you know, probably minus people who are like programmers or, or, or things like that, who absolutely have one up on me. But for the most part, like I'm, I'm in, like, I, I know the nuances of technology. So when it comes to kind of standing back and evaluating the internet from as objective as a perspective, as I can, you know, I can, uh, summon, uh, the internet has caused a lot of damage in our society. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of, of echo chambers that social media tends to, uh, social media tends to encourage, you know, people just yeah. staying in their own little bubble of information. And once somebody says information that you don't agree with, once again, instead of atta attacking the, instead of number one, considering the argument, because actually before you attack something, you should consider it, right? Um, analyze it in your brain from multiple different angles. And then if you choose after thorough analysis, if you choose to reject it, then you should be able to articulate your thoughts and summarize your thoughts on why exactly you reject said argument. But because of echo chambers, most people, number one, only ever hear things that comfort them and that they agree with. Number two, when they hear things that they don't agree with, then they automatically label the person whom they hear it from as, oh, they're a pariah, they're an outcast. When in reality, they're not necessarily an outcast. You were simply just in an echo chamber and you have not ever heard a contrasting opinion. So then you yeah. hear that contrasting opinion and you're not able to articulate a, or, you know, a good uh, uh, retort to it because you know, you're not, it's either the argument was superior or you simply haven't considered why your perspective is a superior one. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think the internet's, um, I, I love it. Obviously, like the internet has given us a lot of good things, but when, when it, you know, when you consider interpersonal relationships and the ability for human beings to communicate with one, uh, one another in an elegant fashion, you know, that actually leads to uh, constructive, uh, constructive, uh, results. I think it's definitely hampered us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, I like how you, I don't know if you structure it on purpose, but I like your mix between videos and your Twitter. Like you'll, I don't know if you screenshot it or what on your Twitter, but you know, mm -hmm. talking mindset, you quoted Aristotle a little while ago and talked about right. how there's only one way to avoid criticism and and then you've got yes. videos. I just, I like how you structure it. I learned so much on your page. 
Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, no. I, uh, so that's, that's a whole mindset portion of it, right. In terms of, um, <clears throat> in terms of things that I'll post on Twitter and to be honest, Tyler, all of that stuff, it all has one fundamental source and that source is my patience. Um, like I said, right. I fundamentally believe that mindset is an integral part of good health. And the only reason that I have this fundamental belief is because I've seen it time and time and time again in patients, patients who have mindsets, who have belief systems that essentially unbeknownst to them, I'm just an outside observer, you know, with training, with training from medical school and training from residency, I'm an outside observer, observing their mindsets and then considering the, the harmful effects that unbeknownst to them, the harmful effects that their mindset, that their thoughts, that their beliefs have on their health, because you have to keep in mind. And actually, I think I made a post about this on my Instagram yesterday. The, the, the one thing that I think over the long term can be the most destructive to somebody's health is a poor mindset, right? If you're the type of person, let's just give a really easy example here. If you're the type of person who believes that you can outwork a bad diet in terms of going to the gym, running, lifting weights, but then you're just eating absolute garbage day in and day out, and you believe that, then what's going to happen from that belief? That that singular belief is going to drive your day-to-day actions. Yeah. That's going that's going to drive the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis. And when you consider the fact that um, you know, the, the most damaging thing in our lives is a thing that, that whatever it is, you know, throughout our lives, whatever happens on a daily basis, essentially consistent, poor choices leads to terrible effects down the road. So if somebody believes they can out exercise a bad diet and they're just eating garbage, then, you know, let's say a year or two comes down the line and, you know, they, they can run a sub six minute mile. They can back squat 400 pounds or 500 pounds. You know, they can do whatever performance based metric that you put in front of them. They can do it, but then you, you know, you have them just do some basic blood work with their doctor and across the, across the, the, you know, the board, they have poor, poor labs, right? They're potentially, you know, have some level of insulin resistance. They have, you know, either elevated or high blood pressure. They have dyslipidemia. So now this same person who, from a performance standpoint, because they believe they can hit all their performance metrics because, hey, they put in the work. They believe you could outwork a bad diet. So they put in the necessary work and they achieve the results to be able to hit all these performance metrics. But because they believe, you know, that, you know, they could outwork a bad diet, they, their diet was absolute trash. So it's having all these effects on the inside of their body, even though they can, you you know, even though they can uh, achieve their objective otherwise with their performance metrics. So that's just one example, in my opinion, of how a bad belief structure, a bad mindset towards any one given thing over the long run, right? Not nothing, there, no real damage happens from a single occurrence of any chosen activity, what happened or, or the most damage occurs from a continuous, uh, a continuous uh, uh, chosen activity over days, over months, over years. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, at any number of the, of the issues that we have in terms of chronic health issues can then appear. So yeah, I believe mindset, uh, it's, one of, it's one of these things that 
uh, you know, most doctors just day to day, they understand that mindset uh, is very destructive to their patients. Uh, However, the approach that I've seen most doctors take isn't the approach that I take. And the approach I've seen most doctors take is just to be, unfortunately, uh, almost paternalistic or judgmental when they're talking to their patients, almost like talk down to them, like, hey, stop smoking cigarettes. I'm the doctor, doctor's orders. I'm telling yeah. you to stop doing this, as opposed to letting them know, hey, this is clearly your mindset. This is your belief, you know, and that's fine that that's your belief. But let's look at the potential consequences 10, 20 years down the road. Uh, are these consequences that you're okay with? You know, it's it, do, do you not want to be able to to play with your grandchildren when you're 60 or 70, or or obviously that's pushing things away. But a lot of these negative health consequences can happen within years. They don't have to happen by the time you're 60 or 70. So I think ultimately, you know, as a physician, you have to be able to find what motivates your patients. You can't be paternalistic. You can't talk down to them. You have to be able to connect with them on things where you got, you basically have to build a bridge between yeah. you and them so that, so that, kind of the, the wisdom that you're trying to convey to them can be adequately received. Do you find that most patients <clears throat> inherently know what to do, but just have a poor mindset around it? Um, uh, for, for some things, right? So let's say for something like exercise, yes. But then for other things like sleep, for example, no, oh, yeah. right? And, and, and so, so it, it essentially, it, to answer that question, we just have to confront the knowledge divide with, with a lot of things uh, in medicine, right? I don't think there's a reason why the art of medicine is called the art of medicine. And that is because it is very much still an art, right? There are yeah. things that we know objectively, factually, just looking at the data. And there are things that we don't necessarily know when we're trying to design good research studies to kind of elucidate the answer um, yeah. and then obviously have that compounded by further research supporting, uh, supporting uh, uh, the, you know, uh, wh- whatever the hypothesis is. But, you know, essentially with something like sleep, where a lot of people are not, a lot of people are, not, are um, what's, the, what's the way to put this, are wholly and entirely ignorant of the damage yeah. that they do to themselves on a on a um, complete basis, on a thorough basis, right? So uh, on, uh, in terms of affecting every system of the human body when they are not prioritizing sleep. Um, just last week, I had a 38 year old gentleman who, um, you know, he has two kids and a wife and uh, he is a corporate executive and he consistently gets five hours of sleep. And, uh, you know, that issue shows up in his labs. That issue shows up in multiple complaints that his wife has about him. Yeah. Uh, you know, that issue, that issue is permeates his life. And unbeknownst to him, many of the consequences of that issue, he can't seem to link back to, to not focusing on sleep. And so, so that's a really good example, right? Of where sometimes people do not know the right thing to do and and they need someone like me who is kind of looking at their entire life uh in a holistic fashion and able to give them advice and say hey listen maybe you should consider changing this slightly but then other things like i mentioned exercise right most people know exercise is good 
and, and, you know, that they should be doing that. Uh, so yeah, to, yeah. to answer your question, essentially yes and no. Sometimes people know other times, other times with kind of more, um, uh, you know, with, with, with things that are not as clearly, um, articulated and things that are not as, as clearly beneficial from the perspective of, uh, society, you know, people won't necessarily know what the right thing is to do with yeah. that. Sometimes I'll, uh, kind of ask myself, I'm like, what's the, what's the magic pill? I'm like, Oh, I, okay. I know what it is. I'm just, you know, mindset isn't there. I'm not putting in the work or, you know, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hey, we're all human, man. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think what you just said is a powerful thing to be able to evaluate your actions and then kind of just know, Hey, you know, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't, uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. It's not something that a lot of people are, are capable of doing, but, um, you know, it's something that's necessary, obviously. Yeah. Well, just evaluating ourselves over time and, um, absolutely and being objective to it, you know, it's, it's easy to get in our minds and be like, well, I'm right. Well, maybe I'm not right. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I I was listening to some, some Zen philosophy. And Mm -hmm. as you were talking about mindset, it popped into my mind. Um, He talks about essentially how there's intelligence and then Mm -hmm. there's everything else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, thinking that as far as the mind goes, you know, there's like, there's the mind and there's everything else. Well, the mind is what controls the everything else, especially within our own, our own bodies and our own beings. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, so for people who don't know, and I know we're kind of like into the episode a little bit more, but what, what do you, we know you're a physician. How do you practice medicine? You talked about how it's an art. It's a practice. Um, what, what kind of doctor are you? Oh, so I am a, I'm a primary care doctor. So full spectrum, um, <laughs> while full spectrum minus, I, I don't, I used to deliver a lot of babies. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I've completely checked out of yeah. that. Um, but essentially, you know, in 2000, so kind of a little bit of a history on me. So I graduated with a, a degree uh, in, uh, with a BS degree in mechanical engineering from Michigan State University. Um, I graduated uh, as uh, or, or from medical school, and my, the medical school I went to was Ohio State University. Uh, that was 2015, uh, and then I graduated from residency in 2018. So I've been practicing uh, primary care medicine since uh, since graduating med school, essentially, and um, you know That's taking awesome. care of uh, taking care of patients uh, uh, since then. So yeah. So obviously, I think with that, I, I still definitely consider myself a new doctor. Um, I, I'll tell you what, Tyler, I, I try to, I try to just pick up information and knowledge from everybody. Um, so uh, I try to learn a lot from older doctors. I try to yeah. learn a lot from researchers and, and try to keep an open mind um, and picking up as much knowledge as I can from new, new, you know, research in any given area. Um, so you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I definitely consider myself still a new doctor, not even 10 years out of, out of residency, but, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, I, I still at this point have seen thousands of patients just because yeah. that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the grind that medical school and residency, and then obviously with clinical practice after that, that's kind of the grind that it puts you under. So you, you have definitely, you know, inter- interacted with thousands of patients. So I definitely already seen a lot um and uh 
you know, for even though I've seen a lot, I like I said, I, I think it's always important to maintain a, an open mind and and be receptive to learning new things from physicians yeah. who are kind of more uh, uh, more experienced than you in any specific venture. So, yeah, you, you seem like the type of person to me, though, that 30, 40 years down the road, you're still going to say the same thing because you have that growth mindset. Yeah. So yeah. That's, I, I that's something it. I pride my, yeah, that's something I pride. I, I love that you said that, uh, the growth mindset, um, that's something I pride myself on. And, you know, I, I wish a lot more people would, um, would kind of harbor that type of mindset, yeah. but you know, I, I get it. We live in a society where, you know, even I think actually my growth mindset started in med school because I was told by an attendee in med school, <clears throat> he said, you do not stop learning about being a good doctor and you do not stop learning all the knowledge that you need to as a doctor when you pass your boards and graduate med school. That's not when you stop. He, he said, you stop learning as a doctor when you're dead. And that's obviously a little bit morbid, a little bit weird to think about, but I agree with him. You have to, especially something like medicine, which as I referred to earlier is an art. And as it is an art, it is ever changing. There are new revelations, new research, new studies coming out every day. So with that being said, you know, it's very important to, uh, to, to, be, to have an open mind as a doctor and to be very yeah. receptive to not only what your patients are saying, uh, because your patients will teach you a lot if you just listen to them sometimes and shut up, um, yeah. but, you know, but also you know, new revelations in the field. So when I was a paramedic, uh, we talked mm -hmm. about that 10, 10 year paramedics with a closed mindset are the most dangerous ones. Oh, wow. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, 10 years of it. So it's maybe a little monotonous as far as that, that job goes. Cause you know, it's kind mm -hmm. of call after call after call. And then mm -hmm. ones who don't want to continue to learn, you just mm -hmm. kind of don't want them working on you. You know, if you call 911, mm -hmm. I want one with a growth mindset and one who's trying mm -hmm. to get better every day. Absolutely. And I would, I would argue the same for, for doctors. I have a lot of patients who come to me and they're like, um, you know, nothing against older doctors and by older doctors, I mean, nothing against doctors in their sixties or seventies, yeah. but I have definitely heard from a number of patients now who switch to me from doctors who are that age that for whatever reason, doctors who are that age are very stuck in their, in their ways and, uh, refuse to consider alternatives, even if research essentially, uh, even if new studies imply that, Hey, you know, there could be a potential, there, there's, there could be another way to, to, um, to, to address this issue. Right. And then yeah. obviously any good doctor at any given time, whenever we consider a therapy for a patient, we are actually also considering risk versus benefit. So what I mean by that is, Hey, what is the risk of starting this patient on, for example, let's throw out a, a diagnosis, high blood pressure. Somebody has high blood pressure, um, yeah. but it's they come to me, they have stage one hypertension, stage one high blood pressure. And I personally, I'm not going to put that patient on a medication. You know, yeah. there are, there are things that you can do before you start them on a medication or things that I think as a doctor, you should try. Now, these things that you should try in reality, what you're doing is you're doing a risk, uh, a risk reward uh, analysis in your head. And you should be thinking, Hey, you know, how long, approximately how long has this patient had uh, high blood pressure? Do they have any comorbidities? Do they have any kind of accompanying medical issues? Uh, 
are they symptomatic? Is there anything uh, that they're complaining about? For example, hematuria, blood in your urine is uh, a potential sequela, a potential symptom uh, rather uh, that, or not symptom rather, potential sign that somebody could could suffer if their blood pressure is is high enough. And there are some other signs and symptoms of high blood pressure. So obviously, if somebody is having these symptoms or signs, that escalates them. That that puts them in a much higher uh, category. And in my opinion, makes me much more likely to say, hey, you need to take this medication. You're already having symptoms. We do not have the time for non-pharmacological, non-pill-based interventions. But yeah. if, if somebody comes to me and they still have that stage one hypertension and they don't have any concerning signs or symptoms, and like I said, essentially I do a risk-reward analysis after asking the patient some questions, and it's clear to me, hey, this patient could benefit from non-pill-based uh, uh, interventions uh, and the risk of me trying these non-pill-based interventions is relatively low, then I should be trying that on these patients. I should that, that should be the first thing I try. Medication should not be the first thing that I try in those situations. And from what I've heard from patients, multiple patients who have come to me, for whatever reason, older doctors are much more, uh, you know, doctors in their 60s and 70s are much more inclined to just start a patient on a, on a pill uh, you know, despite recent research and, and, you know, recently new interventions coming to light, uh, uh, you know, they won't even give those things a, a shot, a try necessarily, even when the risk is low and the potential reward is, is high. So, uh, you know, I think that I, I hope to be, hope, hopefully when I get to, you know, six years, seven years old, I, I will not be the type of doctor who, you know, just shuts down my, my patients who want to try, you know, uh, more conservative options. And, yeah. and, you know, I hope to definitely always be open-minded and, and still have a growth mindset at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Well, and, and true science, uh, it changes with new evidence, right? Absolutely. So I, I love that. Uh, have you heard of a, well, it's kind of a, an obscure book, but it's called fat and cholesterol don't cause heart attacks and statins are not the solution. No, I've not heard of that. <laughs> kind of. Is that, is that, is, it, is that literally the name? That is literally the name. Fat wow. and cholesterol don't cause heart attacks and statins are not the solution. It's by uh, uh, Paul Roche. Um, oh. He's a, a medical doctor that wrote it. And I, I've read mm. it. And it's like the most boring read because it's, mm. you know, it is Drop. what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it's pretty good because he just, you know, he presents some arguments and, and mm. you read it and you're like, well, maybe fat and cholesterol aren't the problem. Maybe it's... Uh, mm you know, some alternatives there and mm -hmm. maybe it's the process. I don't know. I, I wish I knew mm -hmm. exactly, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, those are the types of, of books that I, I would like to read, right? Simply because what are those books really doing? They're challenging the status quo, right? And they're basically saying, hey, you know, every physician believes or most physicians believe this. Uh, this is kind of the status quo in our society for whatever reason. And essentially, if those doctors or whoever writes those books, and they do a good enough job, they anticipate your questions off of their supposition, right? And the supposition in this case is literally the title of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but but you know uh, they 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 anticipate your questions and and they answer them and and they ba basically present such a compelling argument that you start to doubt the very thing that you have been doing as a doctor for many many years and so this if you think about what we talked about earlier i think the reason why it's very important for doctors to read books like that of on topics that they don't necessarily agree with is because if they do so they are not living those doctors are not living in an echo chamber they're not only hearing things that reinforce their belief they're open to other other uh, you know, assertions. However, they're only open to other assertions uh, or contrary assertions if a compelling enough argument is made. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the books that like, yeah, I, I already don't like putting my patients on sat. I mean, I will if I have to put somebody oh, on statin, sure. but yeah, risk I benefit. already don't. Yeah, exactly. I already don't enjoy it. So I think that, you know, when you consider I mean, the, 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 the fundamental reason why statins are pushed as much as they are in the society, if, if you come across an argument that basically says, hey, you know, you know high LDL or, or whatever the, the supposition is, doesn't cause heart disease, doesn't, doesn't cause, you know, such a killer, such a prolific killer in, in our society, then you should hopefully be amenable and open enough to consider the consider even reading it. And, and here's the thing, nothing says that reading that book means that you need to take that viewpoint, that you need to accept that viewpoint. You yeah. could very well, you could very well read that book and come up with arguments in your head of why the conclusions of that book are absolute BS. And then if that's the case, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Then you go back to your status quo, to what you've already believed. But you know, yeah. the problem with our society is so many people refuse to even have their beliefs challenged in the first place, yes. which is ridic ridiculous to me, right? If, you're, if your challenge is, I'm sorry, if your belief in anything, in anything, this is not just health, this is anything. If your belief is fundamentally strong enough and backed by enough evidence, then you wouldn't be afraid of having a challenge because you would know, I mean, you know, if, if I tell you, you know, gravity, if I say, Tyler, gravity does not exist. And I cannot provide a compelling enough argument as to why gravity does not exist, despite the fact that if you were to jump up, there would be a force that would push you back down to the, to the, to the ground, push you back yeah. down to the earth. Then, you know, you would look at me and be like, all right, Dr. Nick, you're telling me gravity doesn't exist, but you're not able to provide compelling enough reasoning and evidence. So, you know what? I think I'm going to just stick with my fundamental belief that gravity yeah. exists. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and truth exists everywhere too. So even if, even if the premise of the book isn't entirely correct, there's probably some nuggets in there. I enjoy studying other religions and other ideas than my own because then, I mean, there's truth in it. Like I'm not Buddhist, but you know, I'm listening to that Buddhist Zen book right now. I'm like, this is good right. stuff. And when I compare it to things that I already believe, I'm like, this is actually fairly close with a different name, you know, right. it's, it's right. cool. Yeah. And, for sure. and there's, for sure. this is, I hope I'm not getting too far out there, but there's horseshoe theory as well. So you have one end of the horseshoe, um, which then curves around and almost touches itself again. And so when you're on, we'll say carnivore versus vegan, 
really when it comes down to beliefs, maybe not what they're eating, but food ends up being close to each other, you know, carnivore versus vegan, they fight, but they're closer to each other than the outsides of the, of the horseshoe. I don't know. It's hard tough to, to, no, 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 no. It makes complete sense what you're saying. People have said that all the time. Like the one thing that carnivore and vegans can agree with is that whole foods, consuming yes. whole foods is, is yes. healthier than consuming junk food. Right. So yeah, you know, that's, that's just, that's all throughout society. We agree on a lot more than we disagree, you know, with, however, unfortunately the things that we disagree with are the things that, you know, uh, attract the most focus for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, which talking food a little bit brings me into some questions we had. Um, so, and, and I'll just kind of lay them all out cause I think they all kind of go together. Uh, but I mean, you're the doctor, I'm not, so we'll see. Um, someone asked about recovery, uh, diet, what an athlete's diet should look like, and then overtraining and injuries. So I know that's kind Wait, of a these, lot there. Are these your followers or where, where these questions come from? Well, these ones are friends. I, uh, uh gotcha. we have a little group chat and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to have nice. Dr. Nick on today. And, and what nice. would you guys like to hear? So. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, so what's that just, first question? Yeah. One just put a big capitalized recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, recovery just kind of, I, I, I guess. I would imagine, so she comes to CrossFit. Um, okay. I would imagine it's uh, recovering. Well, I'll just kind of switch this into a question, just uh, sure. a generalized question. How, how, how do we best recover when we're training hard? Sleep. That's, that's literally my one word answer. If you want more than a one word answer, um, you basically need to understand that everything in the human body goes through strain and recovery, right? Why is it for let's, let's, I don't know. I, sometimes I come up with obscure examples in my, I in love my brain, it. No, but it's good. Um, one of the, if you want to find the most dense and, and you can easily quantify this with a DEXA scan, but the most dense vertebral body structure. So if I were to break that down in simpler terms, um, our spine is made out of many, many vertebral bodies. So if you want to find the densest, the the most dense bone from the vertebral body in any human being, the human means that you're going to find that in most consistently are people who lift weights. Now, this could be power lifters, right? Olympic weightlifters, but people who, who lift weights. Uh, so if you look at kind of world-class power lifters and you were to do a DEXA scan on them, their bone structure of their spine is denser than you or I uh, or, or people who, who lift lighter. And why is that? The reason why that is, is because they went through over many, many years of training. They have gone through repeat, repeated bouts of stress. And then because they know well enough, they gave their bodies time to recover, right? So recovery in this sense can very well mean sleep, can also mean um, spending time away from doing as high volume, not necessarily spending time away from the weight room and not lifting at all, but decreasing volume. Yeah. Uh, you know, it can, it can mean the types of foods that, that they ingest uh, so that you know, they essentially give their body the integral pieces that are needed to build that spine back stronger. But essentially, you know, without sleep, 
you could throw all the rest of the things at the dartboard and have all the rest of the things hitting a bullseye. And if yeah. you don't have the, the necessary sleep, uh, that, you know, these specific uh, weightlifters and powerlifters, their spine will simply not be as resilient and as strong as, as it is. So kind of everything, obviously I just brought up a, you know, example of the, of the spine of, of powerlifters. But yeah. I think that when you back up and back up and look at it, everything about us is, is, uh, kind of a stress and recovery. And there needs to be an integral balance between, between the two, right? So if somebody's not going to CrossFit and they're just a couch potato, they just, you know, come back from work, sit on the couch, you know, eat potato chips, go to sleep. One could easily argue that person does not necessitate all other things being equal between them and, and another person, that, that person who is a couch potato does not necessitate as long a recovery. They do not need to be asleep as, as much. They do not need to focus on their sleep quality, their sleep, uh, you know, duration. Uh, they, they simply don't. So, uh, yeah, to answer the question, I, I don't, uh, unless you answer, unless you ask it in a different way, I don't know how else no, I, I, I can like answer that. that. Well, and, and so what I got out of that, uh, it simply is train enough that you're able to recover and yes. the things that we know. So eating whole foods and sleeping probably in the other order, sleeping and eating whole foods um, mm. is going to help in that recovery. And if yeah, we're feeling, absolutely. if we're feeling tired, burned out, it's okay to step back a little bit, you know, maybe come mm. to class, come to CrossFit, but just, you don't need to do the volume and the weight, just, you know, go through the motions and recover. Right. 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 Yeah. So personally, um, I know a lot of CrossFitters utilize the same thing that I'm about to say, but I, I personally use a whoop, yeah. um, and I've used it now for ever since 2018. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by, uh, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the type of nerd who reads the, the whoop white papers and, keeps up with their, yeah, with their research and listens to their podcast. So, um, you know, I think that ultimately people, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think it's important always to confront biases, number one. So I think that even as doctors, we have biases and, and why do I say that? Well, because doctors are human. So we have integral, we, we, we are biased in, you know, one way or another towards certain things. The only issue with that is when, we don't admit to that when we when we feel that just because we're doctors, we can be 100% objective. And the reason why I bring up this whole thing about being biased is because I am a nerd. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm a mechanical, well, I'm mechanical engineering trained. So because of that, I like numbers. So yeah. I completely understand that there are some people who don't like the idea of whoop. And, and these are usually people who are not numbers people. These are people who you know, will be like, oh, I know how much sleep I need. You know, I, I, you know, I don't need a device telling me, you know, what, what daily actions are associated with poor sleep in my life, uh, whether it's eating too late at night or working out too late at night or sleeping with my partner in bed. And, and these are all things that, you know, Whoop and Whoop Journal can reveal as either having a deleterious harmful effect on your sleep or a, or a beneficial effect on your sleep. So I get it. Not everybody likes whoop and numbers and data. Personally, I do. Um, so yeah, I think that ultimately, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of what I focus on when it comes to, uh, 
when it comes to to sleep because i you know i've been crossfitting now since 2010 so essentially 12 years you know i at a at a frequency of currently i'm going to the gym six days a week um in the past when i was in med school it was like three days a week obviously you know because i had to focus on other things but um yeah i think that ultimately with the load with the strain that i put on my body now it's very very helpful to have something that is continuously and persistently monitoring my body physiology and you know letting me know insights that i simply would not objectively have without it yeah. uh so yeah like i said some people aren't necessarily numbers people and they don't they don't like devices like these but i definitely do well he, so here's a cool it plays into what you're saying and it's a little anecdotal but i competed at the tactical games last saturday uh-huh. and sunday so uh-huh. when i woke up on saturday i was 81 percent recovered or it had an 81% recovery. And then my day strain that day was 16.1. So, you know, three workouts. And so then the next day I wake up and it's 76% recovery and a day strain of 14.1. And so those two days, eight workouts, I wake up the next day, 31% recovery, you know, which that's a lot more strain than I am used to. Obviously right. eight workouts in two days isn't something that I normally do. And I, I knew that it was going to stress my body, but it's cool that the numbers, I mean, you know, well, got, lined up. Yes. So cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can literally see, I mean, you know, you know, what type of stress you, you put on your body. Uh, and obviously, so, so the tactical games is a two day event. Uh, the one that I did is yeah. Got it. Got it. There's yeah. one so, yeah. that's a one day event, but. Yeah. Uh huh. And and I think it's it's you know super interesting. I guarantee you there were, there would be some people who would do an event like that and truly assume that from one night of sleep, you know, they can completely catch up on the strain that they put on their their body. I think if if, if there's any one thing that and there are many things that you know um, these biometric devices because I don't only have a whoop. I have many other biometric devices that kind of help me with day-to-day health-based decisions for me. But, uh, you know, the one thing that I can, you know, articulate right now that WHOOP has helped me determine is that if I don't have consistent sleep-wake times, I will not be able to consistently wake up in the green, wake up well-recovered. And that's something, for example, so you, you know, your question earlier, right? You know, do, do people... Do people know what the right thing to do is? I guarantee if you were to ask 10 out of 10, 10 people or, or even more than that, 100 people, hey, you know, is having an important sleep time and, uh, you know, is having a, a specific rather uh, bedtime and a specific wake time, is that very important when it comes to the quality of your sleep and, and waking up well recovered? Most people I guarantee you, most people would say, no, that probably doesn't matter. It's all about the duration. It's all about how many hours you sleep. And in reality, that consistent sleep wait time is actually one of the most important. If I were to tell you, Tyler, hey, sleep during the middle of the day, sleep for eight hours, you are not going to wake up as well recovered as if you were to sleep per your chronotype at whatever time you usually sleep at night. I mean, and, and like I said, right, most people wouldn't necessarily know this unless they are willing to run experiments on themselves. And I think that that's, in my opinion, that's the single greatest, uh, 
kind of benefit that all these devices give us uh, versus if we were to live 40 or 50 years ago when we don't have all these health-based devices that attach to our body and give us insights. Um, yeah. You know, the single, the single greatest benefit is that now we can run N equals one experiments. And, and what does that mean? Just for anybody who doesn't know. So usually in an experiment, the value of N is the population, uh, is, is, the, is the study size. So if I were to say, you know, we did a study and the N equals a thousand, that means that you had a thousand participants who were providing data. So the greater the uh, study side, the, the greater the number of participants, the greater what's called the power of the study, the greater the strength of the results from the study are. So as you can imagine, if you do a study with five people, and then you try to say, hey, we did a study, there were five people, these were the results. You cannot ever, ever, ever say, hey, you know, this is a recommendation we should make to everybody in the population based off of this study of five people. It's simply, that's simply an underpowered study. You don't have enough people to make that, to, to come to the conclusion that you can apply the results from that study to the entire population. Yeah. Um, so with that said, I think, like I said, right, the, the benefit of these, all these devices is you can run N equals one experiments where the one obviously is you. So instead of, you know, uh, only getting recommendations from very uh, high powered studies, you can essentially now you have a device that's literally telling you, hey, you know, if you tried whatever experiment you let, let's say you want to experiment you know, one, one entire week. And you want to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go to bed two or three hours later than I go to bed every single night. And I just want to see if I can still somehow wake up well recovered now with a device like the whoop, right. Or any other, you know, sleep related biometric device, you can quite literally objectively see the results on yourself, not on mm -hmm. some obscure population of a thousand people or five people. No, 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 no. You can see the results given this N equals one experiment. You can see the results on yourself. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, and I'm sure you see it on my Instagram all the time, Tyler, I'm a big fan of just any one of these devices that give people insight into their own behaviors and how their behavior is linked with, with their health. Yeah. Like well, you also do that uh, body scan, which uh, we don't, we don't have one of those. Or we don't, I, well, we have an in-body. Have you heard of in-body? Mm -hmm. And I, I love the data. I mean, it's, it's awesome to yeah. see what your skeletal muscle mass is versus your body fat and your weight and, and just be able to track that over time. And you had said earlier, yeah. you know, those little things that add up, that's, that's kind of it. Like right. those little things, you know, a lot of these questions link together, I think, because she had talked about recovery and then um, someone else said, I'm always interested in diet. Like, what does a, an athlete's diet look like? And then also asked about preventing injury, injury and recovery and diet and injury. They're all linked. Exactly. This is this is this is what people I and I find it fascinating. And trust me, there are some doctors, too, who believe that the human body can can be segmented into systems that can be individually addressed. And I personally, with my patients, I've never believed that. I, I think yeah. we are all we're, we're listen, you have to approach this holistically, taking account of damn near everything. Um, and I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Right. So 
diet, recovery, uh, all, all these things are, are absolutely linked. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you, I, I can still answer that other question though. Right. I do think that for yeah. somebody, well, actually, no, let me back up this person who asked about what a diet looks like for somebody who is very active and exercising, um, are, are they a CrossFitter or what type of exercise? Yeah, exactly? uh, does CrossFit and, and probably six days a week. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, um, so how do I bet? I know that's kind of tough when you don't know like all of the, the, the metrics, but, um, you know, help healthy person working out Mm. six times a week is probably pretty in tune with like, Hey, you know, my back is feeling a little bit strained here. So I'm, I'm going to hold back, you know, just pretty in tune. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that kind of for somebody who CrossFits, um, you know, I, I do think, uh, yeah, see, you're right. I definitely don't have enough information. So I'll try to be just as vague about this as possible because essentially somebody who CrossFits and is trying to lose weight would eat differently than somebody yeah. who CrossFits and is trying to maintain weight versus somebody who CrossFits and is trying to gain muscle mass. Absolutely. So I, I don't know, you know, what this person or, you know, is in terms of which one of those three they fall into. But I do believe that when you CrossFit or you do any other high intensity interval training, uh, uh, type of movement where your RPE, uh, and RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion is let's say a, uh, seven out of 10 or higher, seven out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10, you know, 10 out of 10. Um, those people, you should definitely not be, uh, off the camp where you believe that carbohydrates are your enemy. Yeah. Um, you know, you will commonly hear that carbohydrates are not an essential macronutrient. And actually, that is 1000% correct. Uh, we, as human beings, can absolutely live with no carbohydrates, literally just having fat and protein. However, we're not talking about this conversation isn't just talking about what's the absolute minimum. No, we're talking about, hey, you're crossfitting what is best for you, given the fact that you cross it, what's most ideal. And when you look at energy metabolism, uh, and our, our ability to produce ATP, adenosine triphosphate, uh, and, um, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm sorry, our ability rather to, to both produce ATP and then break down ATP into adenosine diphosphate and essentially release energy, uh, which then obviously we use for CrossFit and other things. Um, the quickest rate of uh, uh, ATP generation, I'm sorry, the, the quickest rate of energy generation from ATP happens from carbohydrate metabolism, yeah. not fat metabolism. Even if you're fat adapted, uh, and if you're fat adapted and you also are, are adapted to, to, uh, uh, to mm-hmm. metabolize carbohydrates. So by that, essentially, what I'm saying is if you are adequately metabolically flexible, and you can easily switch between either metabolic fuel source, either fat or carbohydrates, then you will be able to generate more energy from carbohydrate metabolism. So I don't think that, you know, people who uh, CrossFit should be scared of carbs. Now, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? When we brought up being carnivore versus vegan, some people will hear what I just said and be like, oh, this is great. This means I can eat Oreos yeah. and 
potato potato chips and gar- like no that's absolutely not what i'm saying like i i, I love how people people <laughs> will hear what they want to hear right but i'm i'm being very selective uh with my words uh, yes. and and carbohydrates when i say that hey you're a crossfitter you should be consuming carbohydrates i'm not saying you should be having processed food junk what i'm saying instead is you should consider whole foods that supply you with carbohydrate with peri workout carbohydrates so that's pre-workouts intra-workout post-workout carbohydrate consumption uh and i mean that that's hell you look at any you look at any games athlete and all of them know this i I think you know kind of with with any example that that uh you can bring up um whenever you're speaking about any chosen subject i think that it always helps to look at the extremes uh, because the extremes can always teach you certain things that, you know, are either a hundred percent true or a hundred percent false. And in this case, you know, the, the fact that anybody who is fit enough to make it to the CrossFit games consistently will consume, uh, especially around training, as I said, peri-workout, they will consume carbohydrates because they realize that, their performance would be uh, adversely impacted if they were to only stick to fat consumption. Uh, so, so I think that, that that's, you know, obviously without necessarily knowing the, the nuances of this person who asked the question, that's really kind of the best I can answer. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I mean, even nutrient timing with that, you know, you Absolutely. just get they're They're so dialed and it's cool. Cause it's, we were, we were talking about the tactical games earlier and, you know, if we messed up on one shoot, then it brought our score down by 30, 40 points and it brings you down five, six places. They're mm. so dialed. Um, every little tiny thing, their, their sleep, their nutrition, their recovery, their stress. I mean, stress plays a big mm. part on it too. You know, just mm. what, what's our well mindset <laughs> and, and how our, how our mind is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, no, I agree. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Which but, think, but also, but I'm also, sorry. tell you, you have to consider they they can afford to be. You know, this is why I respect games athletes, but like I, I'll never try to be one, right? Because um, they they are so dialed in, usually at the expense of other things. For example, relationships, right, yeah. with their family, relationships with uh, with with others in terms of um, in terms of uh, you know a, a potential mate. Uh, whether boyfriend or girlfriend, um, you know, usually they sacrifice a lot or they let's talk about social situations, right. And maybe as a games athlete, you know, they're not trying to go out to eat as much to restaurants and they're essentially sacrificing that element of their lives uh, simply because they're aware and, and there's nothing wrong. Listen, I'm saying this, there's nothing wrong with them making those sacrifices. Why? Because those are sacrifices they choose to make to achieve the goals that they yep. want to achieve. I actually Absolutely. very much respect that. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many times in medical school I sacrificed social oh, interaction yeah. for social interaction? Oh, hey, you want to yeah. go to this party? You want to meet up? You want to do this? No, I can't do that. I have to study, right? Yeah. And essentially, I was making these sacrifices because I had a goal in mind where the goal was graduate med school, be finished with this, right? Um, yeah. And somebody who wants to make it to the games, who wants to compete to the games, their singular goal is make it to the games, compete at the games. So they're willing to sacrifice whatever is needed 
to 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 make that to make you know to to make that goal. And if that means hey, sacrificing on nights out and and going going out to bars and clubs and going you know having nights out with friends because they're aware on some level that having a consistent sleep wake cycle is very important. Then hey, that means that they you know they're gonna make the sacrifices necessary. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. And yeah. you probably sacrificed a decent amount of sleep in, in uh, medical school as well. Oh, I mean, to be honest, I tried not to because I realized the impact even then when I didn't know as much as I do now, I realized, uh, how about this? I didn't realize the science behind it. I didn't know all the science behind it. Um, and even today, I don't know all the science behind it. I simply know more. Uh, but what I did know back then were the outcomes, right? What yeah. I did know is whenever, whenever I experimented with myself and, you know, hey, I'm just going to stay up to study an hour or two more. And then the next day, I could barely focus on whatever the professor was talking about for more than five minutes. Or I remember one time, I literally one time I can count it on one hand, the times that I pulled an all-nighter in med school. And that one, the, the reason why I say it was only one time is because after I pulled an all-nighter, literally studied all night, and went had no sleep and then went to class the next day, um, I, I, I was... I was poop. Like I, I yeah. simply could not do what I was able to do every other day. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's super important to be able to look at outcomes of your choices and then evaluate based off of the outcomes. Hey, is this something I should continue doing or not? And for me, you know, not focusing on sleep and medical school, uh, was, was one of those things that I quickly determined was, uh, led, led to poor outcomes. Yeah. I also remember one time in med school that I, instead of doing a CrossFit class earlier in the day, like I used to, cause I would do it like at around noonish, uh, or like 1 PM ish. Uh, I would all, uh, one time I, I did a CrossFit workout at like seven or 8 PM. Basically I picked the latest class that was yeah. offered at the gym. And I could not sleep. I could absolutely not sleep. My sleep was just destroyed from that one, from that one choice. Um, so, you know, I, I then looked into it and it actually makes complete sense with what I know now, essentially working out in a very intense fashion. And by very intense, once again, I mean, RPE of seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, if you're just talking about a walk around your neighborhood for 30 minutes to an hour, that's an RP of like two or three. So you can absolutely do that, but higher intensity training closer to bedtime disrupts sleep in many different ways, disrupts sleep's architect architecture, uh, disrupts oftentimes leads to something called sleep onset insomnia, where you're not able to go to sleep simply because, uh, your sympathetic nervous system was very highly stimulated in the hours just before bedtime. Uh, so, you know, these are all things that I, I learned myself just physically going through them and unfortunately experiencing the pain of not being able to, to fall asleep. And like I said, you know, you, once, once you have enough poor outcomes, hopefully you don't need to be a rocket scientist to put two and two together and kind of realize, Hey, maybe you should stop doing this. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been about an hour, so I don't want to take too much of your time, but one, like one more question, if it's okay. Sure. Sure. Um, you had mentioned chronotype around mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah. Is there a way to find out or is it just kind of trial and error? Like what, what hours you require or what time you should go to bed or. 
Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, so for my patients, like I said, right, I, I evaluate uh, all aspects of my patients when, when I see them. And one of the things that I uh, determine with them is their chronotype. The best resource that uh, I have found to determine that short of, uh, of a sleep study or something like that is, um, let me see if I can find the website for you now. And obviously for, for, the, for the listeners of the show, but there is essentially a website that um oh i found it okay so it's a it's um https colon slash forward slash forward slash and then chronotype hyphen south hyphen dot you're kind of breaking out there are you there Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, there I can. So, um, yeah, I'll, I heard chronotype and then it was like you slowly faded out. Yeah, sorry about that. It's because the, the AirPods are dying. Oh, no, <laughs> um, no worries. So so basically, um, I'll give you the website again. OK, yeah. So it's HTTPS uh, colon forward slash forward slash. Uh, and then the first word chronotype, so C H R O N O T Y P E hyphen self S E L F hyphen test dot info. Okay. And, uh, so that, that will essentially take you to, uh, uh, to a, a questionnaire, uh, what's called the, the automated morning nest, evening nest questionnaire, which will ask you a series of questions. And by the end of it, we'll be able to tell you with reasonable certainty what your specific chronotype is. Um, there are other ways to determine this. Uh, you know, if, if I remember correctly, you could basically, um, Actually, no, let me not. The other way that I'm thinking about, I'm not 100% sure. There's actually a protocol. Uh, I would just have to, I know exactly where where uh, it is, but I don't have it in front of me right now. So I'm not going oh, yeah. to, I don't, no I don't want to speak on something I'm not 100% positive about. But so yeah, the, the automated questionnaire um, is, a, is a really good option for determining your chronotype. But, you know, that's definitely something that many, many people could, stand to benefit from adhering to a lot of people are not aware that they have a spit i mean we all have a specific chronotype and it's and it's a a function of our age it's a function of our genetics um but it changes all throughout life so uh, yeah. sometimes sometimes you know your chronotype can reveal things that you may not want to hear for example uh many couples have differing chronotypes. So what that means is all of a sudden you may find out, hey, you know, your wife per her chronotype needs to go to bed at like midnight or 1 a.m. while per your chronotype, you need to go to bed at nine or 10-ish, right? So obviously then that can cause some amount of discordance between you two because in the past you went to bed at the same time. But hey, listen, you know, I ultimately... I, I don't, I don't write the rules like your, your yeah. chronotype is determined by you. So I just, I, all I know is when people subscribe and align their daily activities to their chronotype, uh, you know, that tends to result in, in their best health over the long run. 
That's awesome. That actually, I think that kind of like ties everything in together with what we've, we've talked about today. I mean, if, if right. people can find that chronotype and start actually adhering to it, right. Um, a lot of things fall into place, right? Like when you're getting adequate rest, you're also not craving the crappy carbohydrates as much. You're, you're, you're recovered to go and, and work out. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, you're, you're very, you're very right. It, it's, it's funny what you just mentioned. A lot of people are not aware of, but essentially not aligning yourself to your chronotype and specifically staying up much later than your chronotype demands leads to people. And here's the thing. People are like, oh, my appetite increases the later I stay up at night. That's actually not what happens. Well, actually, it isn't only what happens. Yes. Does that happen? Absolutely. Do you crave more? Yes. However, studies have found that the quality of food that you seek at that time actually goes down. You tend to be, you tend to crave more refined carbohydrates, refined fats, right? Essentially processed foods. So, and, and if you think about it, there's an entire industry that stands to profit off of this. And that industry is, well, actually it's a, it's a two, it's a twofer, but it's basically bars and clubs. And then what can you often find outside of bars, food trucks, right? So there's a reason why (laughs) these, these food trucks make a killing, you know, midnight, 1am, 2am, 3am, because, you know, not only are these people drunk uh, or, or, you know, have some, some level of intoxication, but they're also much, they're up, up much later than, you know, than they would be otherwise. And because of that, even if they're the best person during the day, and they're very conscientious about what they eat at that time, your willpower is going to be immensely impacted adversely, you know, and you're, you're going to all of a sudden, Hey, you know, that, that, I don't know, Euro that's on the corner or that broth that's on the corner or that slice of pizza, you know, uh, coming out of that food truck starts to look very appealing, you know, and it is, it is what it is. You just kind of have to be conscious of this stuff, right? Even in residence in residency, like, you know, most resident doctors, I was subjected to a lot of, uh, uh, 24 hour calls and, and longer calls. So basically, you know, you had to do shift work. So, and I would always notice that, Hey, you know, when I'm up 2am, 3am, you know, you know, waiting on, on, you know, a mother to fully dilate so we could deliver her baby or, or, you know, attending to whatever other chaos is going on in the hospital, all of a sudden those candy machines look a lot more appealing, right? All of a sudden, all the poison. And I can tell you this from experience, and it's very true all around the United States that physicians lounges and residence lounges are staffed with, um, or not staffed, I'm sorry, but stocked with junk food, potato chips, fruit roll-ups, gummy bears, you know, uh, candy bars. So I, trust me, I was very able to resist this garbage in the middle of the day when I was at work. But all of a sudden you move the, the needle 12 hours, you know, from that time. And now it's 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. And I'm, you know, busy around the hospital and I come back to the residence lounge for a moment. And I see that, that, you know, uh, bowl of potato chips or, or candy bars. You're going to indulge at that time because it doesn't matter who you are when you are up later than your chronotype demands your indulgence for highly processed, high energy density foods increases. And 
you know, you're, you're, it's going to, you're going to find it very difficult to, to deny yourself of those things. So the best way, if you really want to avoid them is to simply not put yourself in that position at all. Makes sense. It it's our bodies are so cool. Yeah. Like just to think that it, it, that all just happens, you know, it's, right. and it's kind of cause and effect. And right. I mean, really, I want to say back to mindset as well. You know, if you have the mindset of athlete and recover, right. Um, right. then you're also going to do is exactly what you said. Just, you're going to start acting in, in those manners. And Absolutely. so, you know, the questions from them about recovery and <clears throat> best uh, diet for an athlete, you know, mm. it's that it's a, uh, it's be an athlete and, and recover. And in thinking those things, we can start to act in that certain way. Mm. Absolutely. Agreed. Awesome. Um, well, I, you're just fun to talk to. I could actually ask you questions all day, but we better, we better, we better stop. Um, yeah. How, I think how when, people... when, the, when, when the AirPods start dying, that's an interesting, <laughs> yeah. a long conversation. How can people find you? Uh, so, um, as you know, you, you found me through my Instagram where I yeah. post a lot of, uh, uh, just, just health, uh, education, material, mindset stuff, nutrition stuff, fitness stuff. So my Instagram page is the, it's all one word, the fittest doc. Um, and for anybody curious that, that, uh, name essentially refers to the fact that I'm very aspirational towards, and I think everybody should be aspirational towards themselves in terms of always pursuing the fittest version of themselves. So, you know, instead of oh, yeah. a less, instead of a less catchy Instagram name, the fittest Nick, like, and, you know, implying that I'm always trying to be the fittest Nick I can be. I obviously chose a, a catchier name, the fittest doc, implying that I'm, I always want to be the fittest doc that, that I can be. So yeah, yeah that's my Instagram. Um, it's the same on, uh, on um, uh, Twitter and TikTok, even though I don't post on those as much. Um, if you, so I'm, I'm currently licensed to practice. I see patients from all around the, the uh, United States with a telemedicine service called a steady MD where I yeah. practice full spectrum, full spectrum care. And, you know, for people who need uh, a specialist uh, and need to see a, a specialist doctor, obviously as the primary care doctor, I, ref I, I send patients to those specialists. I refer to those specialists. So um, yeah, to, to become a patient, assuming that I am licensed to practice medicine in your state, um, to become a patient of mine, you, you, uh, can find me at www.steadymd.com slash Dr. Nick. Um, though I would very much highly encourage you to first find me on Instagram and send yes. me a, uh, first find me on Instagram and send me a direct message telling me, Hey, you know, you're interested in becoming a, a patient of mine because, you know, I do absolutely believe in screening patients. And by that, what I mean by that is um, I like to determine if a patient and I are aligned um, and because, Hey, listen, Tyler, it's very clear talking to you. You know, you're not the quick fix type of person in terms of mindset. You, you would rather do the hard work if necessary to, you know, fix your high blood pressure, your cholesterol or your low yeah. testosterone. But I can absolutely tell you from experience now that there are some people who just want a pill and, and these people always confound me and, and surprise me because it's almost like they don't understand the risk involved with a lot of medications, the, the risk and the adverse effects and the side effects. Um, uh, but yeah, 
these people do exist. And so the reason why I like people reaching out to me on Instagram and just telling me they'd like to become a patient is because then I can determine if they are the type of person who just wants a quick fix for everything, just wants a pill for everything, in which case I'm very frank and honest with them that, hey, I don't think I'm the, the right doctor for you. I think you should potentially try and find someone else. Or if they're the, you know, if they're the antithetical to that and they're the exact opposite, then sure. I, I tell them that I would love to take them on and would love to see them. But um, for, you know, for, for the most part, I, I very much enjoy talking to people before our first appointment, um, just making sure they're, they're a right fit for, for me. And that more importantly, that I'm the right fit for them. And then, you know, we can take it further. Uh, I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, in today's world, sometimes we're just trying to kick people through. And uh, I say, we just, you know, there might be clinics or something that's just trying to kind of kick people through. And I appreciate right. that you take time with people and you learn them and, and, and fix them as an individual. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Thank you. I definitely, uh, definitely try to. That's awesome. Well, Hey, thank you for this. Um, it is greatly appreciated. Your knowledge is awesome. Your Instagram is great. Um, I mean, what is life without a good Instagram? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I really appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom and, and willingness to come on and, and chat with it um, or chat about it with people. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome, man. I appreciate you, you inviting me. And uh, um, yeah, this is our second time talking. So definitely, uh, definitely as, as interesting and uh, provocative as the first time. So I appreciate the, uh, the invite once again, Tyler. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Nick. I appreciate that. And let's um if you're if you want to let's do it again yeah yeah absolutely we'll do it again uh, i'll i'll try to <laughs> try to find uh the uh the, the predecessors to the airpods that the ones that are <laughs> the ones that are wired and that uh that you know don't have a battery so that it can last longer next time well, if it makes you feel any better, I tried to get the headphones and microphone to work and I, I couldn't. So I'm going off of computer audio right now. So I'm just hoping yeah. this sounds really good. Yeah, I'm sure it does. No worries. But yeah, let me know when this is posted and I'll be sure to share it as well. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye.